welcome to the people who joined us today. Uh, yesterday, I spoke about the way of being, the enlightening way of being, which is listening to the sounds of the world. Often said to be listened to the cries of the world. An enlightening way of being could be described as listening to the cries of the world. Um, that practice is the name of the bodhisattva that I'm sitting in front of, a uh, name of, this, of the bodhisattva that this statue symbolizes. This statue is sometimes called the enlightening being listening to the cries of the world. So again, enlightening being listens to the cries of the world and there's, a, there's an enlightening being whose name is listening to the cries of the world. That enlightening being, their name is their job description. Their name is what they are and what they practice. And in the tradition of the Buddhas and Zen ancestors, this practice of listening to the cries of the world, I'm saying, is fundamental. It's a fundamental enlightening way of being in the Zen tradition. However, it's so fundamental that some people have never heard about it. Why mention it? But the problem of not mentioning it is some people don't understand how fundamental it is. So it's, when you realize how fundamental it is, you might take it for granted and not mention it. I'm mentioning it over and over until we uh, are mindful of it, mindful of the practice of listening to the cries of the world. And these cries, they're not just crying, I say. They're not just crying. They're crying for compassion. Yes, they're saying, I, they're saying, they're saying, I'm afraid. I'm suffering. I'm confused. I don't need any help. But these are not just utterances, they are calls for compassion. So when we listen, it's not just as a cry, and we listen, there's a request, and we are responding to the request. So it's not just, it's not one-sided. There is a request, and there's a positive response 
There's a request for listening, and then there's listening is given. So when I say that listening to the cries of the world is fundamental to Zen practice, I'm also saying, maybe more to the point, the relationship between the listening and the calling, that relationship is fundamental. And that called and responding is our true nature, is our basic nature. And then also, when, uh, when there's a call, there's, in the calling, there's listening. And in the listening, there's calling. So both sides are listening, and both sides are calling. Yesterday, as I was walking over to this zendo, I was crossing a street, and a tall woman with kind of a yellow vest on gestured that I could cross the street even though the hand was red. She said, you're okay. (laughs) And then she said, smiling, she said, you look like you're coming out of history. (laughs) And I smiled and nodded. A man in a dress walking through Brooklyn. And I have a name, too, which is given to me in history. And my name is my job description. The first part of my name is Tenshin, which means Suzuki Roshi said when he gave it to me, it means Reb is Reb. You could also say, Reb's job is to be Reb. Tenshin means, like, in one sense, colloquial, in a colloquial Chinese, it means kind of to be childlike or naive. Like you asked me, what's, what's your name? I say, Reb. Who are you? Reb. But as a technical term, it means ultimate reality. So Tenshin means to be like a child, and it also means ultimate reality, which is Reb is Reb, completely. That's my job. And when Reb is Reb completely, Reb is not Reb. And the second part of the name is Reb is not Reb, which is Zenki, which means one translation of it is the whole works. Reb wholeheartedly Reb is the whole works. It's the whole works. It's my whole job. And it's the whole universe in the form of Reb is Reb. And and it's also the whole works means the whole is working in the form of me being me. That's my job description, is to be me as the whole works. 
which can also be called Zazen. My name is Zazen. So my, when I become a priest, I get a name, which is my job, which is to be me completely and therefore be not me. And that's really everybody's job description, but this is the way it was put to me. So each of, our, each of us has the job of being the person that the universe makes us, and doing that completely involves listening to the cries of the world. I can't be fully me without listening to everybody else, because everybody else is included in me. I can't be, accept my position, my true position, without observing all beings with eyes of compassion. And again, as I said yesterday, observing all beings means to observe my own anxiety, my own panic, my own doubt, my own discouragement, my own pride, my own happiness, my own sadness, my own pain, my own pleasure, whatever is going on for me, is calling for compassion. It's calling for compassion. Even though I may not know that these things are calling for compassion. And, and people come to talk to me and they tell me about what's going on with them, but they don't seem to realize that what they're telling me is calling for compassion. So they don't practice compassion towards what they're telling me. They're telling me about themselves, but it doesn't occur to them that what they just told me is something that was calling them to be compassionate. They say they're in pain, but they don't realize they're asking for compassion from themselves and others. If you're out in the woods and nobody's around and you feel pain, that pain's calling for compassion, and the compassion's right there. And it's your job to participate with that compassion because you're being asked to. Your suffering is calling for you to be compassionate to your suffering. And of course, it's calling to all great compassionate beings. And it's calling to them, and they're already there. And we need training. Training to learn, to help us learn how to listen wholeheartedly. When we learn to listen wholeheartedly to the cries of the world and, and, and also a particular cry in the world, that wholehearted listening, and of course it includes being really open to that cry. But when you're really open to that cry, you open to something else. And what might that be? It's sometimes called the true dharma. And when you're open to the true dharma, by opening to a particular cry, then you awaken. When, after you open to it, you awaken to it. You awaken to the true dharma in every cry. The true dharma, it pervades all the cries. It's in every cry. 
But if I close the door on a cry, I close the door on what's in it, or what it is. It's the true Dharma in this way. And another thing, I, a way to put it is, when we open to individual cries, individual pains in our own body and mind, individual pains we hear from others, when we open to them and awaken to the Dharma, we also awaken to our original nature. Our original nature is the bodhisattva precepts. We awaken to the way we include everybody and the way we're included in everybody, which is to awaken to the bodhisattva precepts. In this including everybody, everybody, and being included in everybody, one way that that's described is that is not killing. That is not taking what is not given. That's not putting yourself above anybody. You don't put yourself above anybody when you're included in them, and they're included in you, and you're awake to that. But if we if we close our eyes to that mutual inclusion, to that mutual pervading, to the whole working, then there could be this thought of putting ourselves above somebody, and often somebody who we do not allow them to be included in us, or vice versa. Uh, again, to review yesterday, for the new people, yesterday I, I shared some teachings from a scripture about bodhisattva precepts. This scripture, um, my understanding is that this, it seems to, I've heard and it seems to be more and more true that I see that this scripture, which is called the Brahma's Net Scripture, it's very influential in our understanding and our practice of bodhisattva precepts in this particular Zen school. It's very influential, and most of you have not heard of it before. And it hasn't been talked about, so it's kind of like a, I don't know what to say, a missing link in the uh, evolution of our tradition to know that this scripture is very influential in our bodhisattva precepts. And this scripture says that these precepts are the source of all Buddhas. Now there is a, there is a text which, um, which is written by A. Hay Dogen, who wrote that verse we just did. A. Hay Dogen Zenji R the founder of this tradition in Japan. He wrote that vow there, but he also wrote something called uh, essay, or actually verses, on teaching and transmitting, or teaching and conferring the precepts. Essay on teaching and giving the precepts. Bracket, bodhisattva precepts. 
Okay? So he's, in this text he says, the great precepts of all Buddhas have been protected and maintained by all Buddhas and have been mutually entrusted Buddha to Buddha, mutually transmitted by ancestor to ancestor. Uh, these precepts are the source of the laws of all Buddhas. These precepts, I can't find a place where it says these precepts are the source of all Buddhas. It says the source of the laws of all Buddhas. That's as close as I can come. But anyway, that scripture is in, is in the writings of the ancestor, the Zen ancestor. And that scripture says that the Bodhisattva precepts are the source of all Buddhas, the origin of all bodhisattvas. And I thought I might just say that the... I, ha, I didn't read this in the scripture. The bodhisattva precepts are the DNA of the Buddhas. And the Buddhas give this DNA to sentient beings. So they will have the DNA of Buddhas. So the Buddhas listen to the cries of the world. They awaken to our true nature, which is these precepts. And then they transmit the precepts, which include listening to the cries of the world. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.